one question I was asked once was, who's more important, the customer or the employee? And I said the employee, because without good employees, you don't have any customers. And that, that's kind of a mentality we have here at Fusion is that our employees are the root of our business's core aspect. Hey, it's Matt, and this is Pass the Secret Sauce. What's up, saucers? Today, we have Brian Jakovich on the show, who's the president of Fusion Health, which is a three-time Inc. 500, 5,000 company. He's massive success for he and his company, has done a great, great job. And it was really great to be able to hear how he started all of this, how he got into this business. His company basically is in the correctional institution space. So basically they create software for correctional institutions. Really, really interesting. And then then now he's starting to grow into other areas of focus. So talk a little bit about niching here. We talk about growing business and, you know, how to treat people, how to, how to build cultures. So great, great conversation with Brian and I hope you enjoy. Yeah, great question. You know, growing up, my well, first off, my family is straight off the boat from former Yugoslavia, Croatia. So meals were definitely a pivotal, you know, a pivotal component to every single day. I'm one of two children. I have my younger brother, and we pretty much ate enough for six kids growing up. <laughs> so uh, you know, meal time was definitely important. But you know, I was fortunate to have you know both parents at the dinner table with me. My father did own his own company, still does today. He's kind of a, pretty much a serial entrepreneur himself. I uh, was in the trucking business. But, you know, even though he was building what became actually one of the larger trucking companies in America at the time, you know, he always took the time to be at home for dinner. So definitely, you know, dinner was dinner was a big part of our life. That's cool. That's cool. And did you guys make any, you know, traditional dishes from your parents' Yugoslavian background? What, what, what was the favorite? Fuji. Fuji, which Fuji. is pretty much the equivalent of our, our, our boat. It's like bow tie pasta, okay. but kind of twist it. And then gnocchi, that's another one. And uh, definitely as we got older, you know, some of the more difficult things to kind of make became a little bit more mainstream. So I mean, if you're from a story in New York, you're either Greek or Croatian. So some Croatian type stores opened up in uh, Chivapci, which is our little like sausage is awesome on the grill. Mm-hmm. So those, those are definitely some of the things. But bagels were a huge part too. Not, not a Croatian delicacy, but just like me and my brother would house, you know, six, <laughs> eight, ten bagels for breakfast. So we, we definitely like food. Uh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, no, food can absolutely bring people together. So that's fantastic. So can you talk a little bit about some of, you obviously were in an entrepreneurial household. Can you talk a little bit about how you feel that influenced you, you know, as a, as a younger person, did you see things that, you know, led you down that same train of thought? Definitely. It's funny. You know, entrepreneurialism is definitely one part. You know, I, also being the big brother, I got to be a boss pretty early on in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was always interested in, you know, obviously managing my, my brother, so almost HR type management, uh, being a boss to him. But also, you know, my, my parents really always gave me the the nudge and the push to kind of go and, and be creative and kind of do, do what I thought would be, you know, useful. You know, even going back to uh, grammar school, I remember in fourth grade, uh, we were we were given what was called pen privileges. So we were able to graduate from using a pencil to using a pen. 
everybody was so excited about it. I mean, you, they, they, they got to use a pen finder. They were big people up on the second floor of the mm-hmm. school. And I quickly even saw opportunity there where I actually asked, I had, you know, some money saved up from doing odds and ends. You know, we were a household where, you know, you took out the garbage, you got a couple bucks for the week, whatever it was. So they were always instilling in me and my brother. And honestly, I do with my daughter now, who's three and a half, four years old. You know, you, if you want things in life, you have to do things to get the reward. You want to do what you want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I had a couple bucks. I gave it to my mom and she went to Costco and bought a box of pens. You know, call 20 pens or maybe 10 bucks. So those 20 pens I was selling for five bucks a clip because, you know, we, you know, you find out the morning of that you got this privilege and they were so excited that kids were, you know, my classmates were literally giving me their lunch money to be able to use a pen for the day. And the school actually wound up calling my parents because I was undermining the inventory closet down on the first floor with Mrs. Mooney, where she was actually suddenly realizing she was selling no pens. So you know, again, from, from the earliest age, and if you go to my grammar school, they still, the, the few that are still left there still talk about that. You know, I even was the first recipient, recipient of the Entrepreneurial Mindset Award at St. Leo's in grammar school. So that's actually continued on since. You know, even there, I was the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper and personally thought it could have been done so much better, but the team I was given to manage were just, they didn't care enough. I fired them all. I wound up, ran up running the entire school newspaper with me and two other guys. So, you know, it's just something I've kind of always, you know, owned and just a mindset I've had forever. I, I kind of, I typically consider myself a, a builder. You know, I'm somebody who likes to build things and to just to do a roll up my sleeves, get dirty, get the job done. That's great. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Those, those, those foundational stories are always, always something. You had some, some success with some business when you were about 16 or so. Can you talk a little bit about, about that one? I read it in your, your LinkedIn profile. Now I can't remember what it was that you. Oh, you, oh, you visor? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So you visor actually started when I was at uh, CN Hall. Prior to that, again, you know, going, going from selling pens through college and high school, I was always in business for myself. There's only a short time in my life, about two and a half years, where I actually worked for anybody, and that was when I did a quick stint on Wall Street as a broker. So I've always been in business myself. But, you know, again, from, you know, uh, just one quick story before the UVISOR one, you know, even in high school, you know, I became a distributor for consumer electronics and and radar detectors because, again, like the pen thing, people were getting their their driver's licenses super excited. They wanted a radar detector. I was selling them out of my closet. I went to an all-boy high school. When we had dances, it was either $5 to enter or three cans of food. I'd go to Acme, buy a can of food for $0.10, cents, sell, you know, sell for a dollar each, <laughs> make $0.90 cents profit. So it, it was, this has always kind of been the way I was going. And pretty much at, at uh, Seton Hall University, I actually went to Seton Hall after I went to Fordham, tried to start a business, failed. I, I pretty much flunked out of Fordham because I wasn't going to class, even though I had a GPA. But I wound up finding myself at Seton Hall after that quick short stint at on Wall Street at uh, 20 years old, 19, 20, something like that. And pretty much what I what I was seeing around me, that was the time of the financial crisis, you know, mm-hmm. 2009, uh, 2009 ish. And I remember sitting in my finance class, shorting Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, and realizing here I am as a finance major, watching my future literally crumble in front of me. And, you know, I wound up partnering up with another fe- a fellow classmate, and we built what was UVisor, which in its simplest form was really eHarmony Met Monster. You were able to upload your resume or build your resume in our resume builder. 
we'd actually parse key text, leverage the data, uh, Department of Labor's uh, statistical database, search the internet for job opportunities, and show you jobs actually best matched you. And this is definitely the biggest failure in my life to date, <laughs> because while the concept was good, you know, I, I, I thought that this is this is a jackpot. You know, we, we launched it out in Silicon Valley at uh, the demo conference, which is like the 20 be- biggest emerging tech startups of the year. You know, we had a couple hundred thousand users, but I came to realize pretty quickly, one, I, I did not know the least about the HR industry. Mm-hmm. I thought like this is, you know, this is new, you know, the, how, how, how hard could this be? I didn't realize how intertwined the, the, the job boards that you apply through are to HR systems and all the other things that the businesses use. So I definitely was short when it came to my, the person who was going to pay me really, which was the, the company's posting jobs. I just missed that mark completely. You know, one thing I also realized when it came to Uvisor is, again, even though we were seeing success, you know, in that we were building this, the revenue model wasn't flushed out at all. I had a partner that I was literally paying from another job, another business that I had started. And also, I just let it go on for too long. You know, while I was building Uvisor, I was simultaneously building Fusion, which is what I ha- what I've built today, hmm. which has been, you know, three-time listed Inc. 500, 5,000 company. You know, it's, we were the 13th fastest growing company in New Jersey last year. So, you know, I, it, the the story is kind of ironic in some ways where, you know, I was I was building this company in corrections, which wasn't sexy. You know, it wasn't what people, it wasn't what I had in mind. I don't think anybody wakes up saying, I want to get in the prison business when I get older. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I stumbled my way into this industry, but I kept saying, I want to go for that, that really shiny type company, you know, the dot com, you know, you know, the, the Facebook, you know, at the time, Foursquare, which was big then. I want to mm-hmm. build the next that. And I should, you know, again, at 19, 20 years old, whatever it was, like, I should have seen the writing on the wall, and I should have killed it earlier on, but I let emotions dictate my business decisions and the criticality of my thinking, and again, I, I just dragged it on way too long. Interesting, interesting. So, so you, uh, do you have a background in coding as well, or is this something that you've sort of learned, or did you hire coders to, to be able to, to start some of these early companies, or, or uh, so launch I'm, these early companies? I'm a closet nerd. Um, okay. So uh, my upbringing, you know, in the '90s, coding wasn't what it was. It was just so new. I mean, I I watch these things on like VH1 or MTV. You know, the '90s, mm-hmm. and I I, I watch these. I'm like, wow, I really was growing up at the frontier of all this happening. You know, there. You know, I, I remember my first computer, two five and a half inch floppies, and I I lo- I, I locked out the whole thing because I learned the copy command in DOS. You know, and it was just not a path that people were taking. You know, my mentality growing up was I want to become a business banker. I want to get to finance. I, that, like, that was the high-powered 80s, you know, where money was all on Wall Street. And that, that was my upbringing. A lot of my friends' parents worked on for Cannabis Jail. You know, unfortunately, a lot of them died on 9-11. But those were the upbringings I kind of had come, you know, growing up. So my first kind of forte into technology was really more on the hardware side. The first business technically I ever had was at 14 years old. I remember the day vividly because we were going to my grandfather's funeral, like anniversary funeral mass. You know, it's on the anniversary of the death. It's something Croatians do. I don't know if anybody else does, but you go to church. So we were going up to Staten Island and my dad turns to me and he goes, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? 
And I remember being like, what, what question is this? You know, he's like, well, you like computers, right? I'm like, yes. He's like, well, you like surfing too, right? I'm like, yes. You know, I was like, so he's like, why don't you call it surfer internet? And all of his, all of my dad's businesses always ended in services incorporated. So Sur surfer internet services incorporated, which he founded probably under his own name, but it was my company. He gave me a $500 check and he gave me the corporate books and he gave me the telephone number to the, to the, his business accountant. And that was it. So I started building computers and things like that from that age. I mean, anybody who I knew growing up had a Brian, had a surfer computer, had the little icon on it, the whole that's deal. Great. It was like legit. <laughs> and, you know, that, that, that's how I made my money kind of in my teens. But um, I actually, I stumbled, my stumbling into Fusion specifically was because after I had worked on Wall Street for a short period, I was really trying to figure my life out. You know, I, I went to Fordham for a year, flunked out. My parents were devastated, got a job literally in a boiler room up on Wall Street. My boss's name, I'll just use his initials, TB. He's the authenticity consultant for Wolf of Wall Street and, and Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. The guy was a monster. I mean, a mm -hmm. typical Wall Street monster, slamming phones, screaming, and that's where I found myself. You know, I, I, after that Wall Street gig, I was really lost. You know, I didn't know, go back to college, appease my parents, screw school, I don't need it. And I found a job on Craigslist to actually help a correctional healthcare company in New Jersey managed their medical claims for inmates who went offsite for services. Again, the, the builder in me looked at this process that was done on an Excel spreadsheet and saw so many inefficiencies that I then, out of my own need to fix the issue, taught myself how to do basic, visual basic coding, access databases, things like that. So that's really where my technology, my coding background came into effect. I have a development team of 25 developers now. I'm nowhere near these guys. They're brilliant. Brilliant nerds, and nerds is a very good word here. Yes, you know, yeah. we, don't, we don't we don't think of that as a derogatory term. So I'm definitely dangerous enough to talk the talk, understand what it is, but by no means am I a coder. Even with Uvisor, you know, by, as I mentioned, my dad was in the uh, trucking business. He had this really crappy little office in front of one of his warehouses in New Brunswick, and I knew I had the idea of Uvisor. Let's go build this, and. What we did was we actually partnered with Rutgers University and some of the nearby universities. And I, as a college student, had college interns building the software for me because I sold them on the vision that I had. I, I, have, um, I know you can't see it here, but there's actually a box here in my office. It's about a two foot wide, two foot wide by one foot deep metal box, like a little chest. It's my artifacts box. And if I ever feel nostalgic, I want to like remember the old heyday, inside this box, is the book of the wireframes that we drew to actually like show the developers. I remember I was up in West New York at a park up there showing this guy that I met, like, here's what we're going to build, buddy. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, so, so that's really kind of the story when it comes to my developmental skills. People get nervous when I walk into the server room because uh, they know I definitely <laughs> know what I'm doing there and they know what's about to break. But no, coding, coding is definitely uh, one of the things I still regret to this day I'm not like a pro at. You know, my dad always kind of said, both my parents, you need to, you should be not necessarily the master in every aspect of your business, but at least understand enough to be dangerous so that nobody can kind of dupe you. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of my, my thing. I love it. I love it. You, you mentioned a few minutes ago about how you sort of niched yourself into the correctional industry. First of all, is, was that a good decision? And secondly, what have you seen as a benefit of being, you know, sort of niched into a specific 
focus? I think it lets you become the master of your art. You know, when when we entered the correctional market, it was dominated, not dominated, it was still in its infancy in some regards. And by no, me- by no means I see this magical, you know, the, have the magical ball and like the future is correctional healthcare. I mean, I, I stumbled into it. You know, it took me a while to actually find that it was right in front of my face. But what I found was that the large players in correctional healthcare, GE Healthcare, Cerner, Epic, NextGen, traded companies, they weren't, they were focused on the major hospital systems. They were focused on the hundreds of millions of dollars in implementation and software licensing deals. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. They weren't necessarily focused on the ones to tens of millions of dollars of deals. And, you know, I came to quickly find out that because they didn't care, there was no, it, there was no just, no development, no, there was nothing made that, that was suited to correctional workflows. And that was the biggest thing. When I first stepped into a jail, so I mentioned that I went and helped this healthcare company develop that, that I pretty much developed an accounting type software for them. You know, they, they actually also, they managed the healthcare services at numerous counties here in New Jersey. And part of their contractual requirement at Essex County, which is Newark, what they had there was to manage and maintain the GE Healthcare EHR, electronic health record. The person literally picked up and left. They quit, quit on them. And, the, and the, the company I was contracting with just came to me and said, listen, you know how to use a computer, go into the jail, sit down there, pretend you know what you're doing, and we'll hire somebody in the next couple of weeks. We'll pay your contractor rate. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a rosy job. I'm like, dude, I, I'm, right now I'm like wandering in life. I, I don't know if I'm going to be one of those failures. I don't know if I'm going to be homeless. I don't know if my parents are going to want to talk to me in the next couple of years. So yeah, let's just let's just feel this out. Uh-huh. And two, two, two quote unquote weeks re- turned into about a year and a half. They realized that there was nobody out there suited or qualified to really manage electronic health records because it was so new. And while I was there, of course, there was an inside a gangland type hit where a nurse was actually deleting data from a patient's chart to cause an adverse reaction, which caused an inmate to die. And of course, the Department uh-huh. of Justice comes in 
is the Department of Justice comes in, does their investigation, like, you, EHR man, you tell us who did this. I'm like, I don't know anything about databases. I don't know, like, I'm the new guy here. And I, again, through my own need of either saving myself from being humiliated or just wanting to do a good job, pretty much figured out how to get the data out. I got a, a condemnation, whatever it's called, like a, a you know, little clap on the hands for, from um, the people from the DOJ for the job I did. And that person effectively became my mentor. And he really believed in my ability to like, get this stuff done. So, you know, I was at that point becoming knowledgeable enough in corrections to realize like, this is how it should be done. Th these workflows are incorrect. And with that, you know, and through some nudging of my brother, to, to, uh, my, my brother who's like, we should go sell this stuff, would go in front of clients and be like, we are backed by, you know, so we actually wound up becoming exclusive partners for GE Healthcare throughout the whole country. They gave us exclusive rights to leverage their platform to go and sell into corrections because they, they found out about our story and that we knew the space. And that's, that really turned into why Fusion became the big player. You know, wh why we came in and took out everybody is we were knowledgeable in our space. We would walk into a demonstration and say, we are backed by G Healthcare, big enough, bigger than most countries in the world. And we are like their SWAT team. We're their black ops team. We're coming, we're coming to you with the whole knowledge of correctional workflow. But don't worry, even though it's just me and three other employees, you know, I wouldn't say this, but me, three other employees at the time. Yeah. And oh, by the way, that help desk guy you talk to is my alter ego because I just <laughs> try and cover my name up. You know, we are backed by G Healthcare. We can come in and get this big project done. You know, I remember going to the state of Connecticut and they're like, your revenues were 125000 last year. How do you think you're going to implement the state? Sold in that store, you know, so, and they believed in us and that's what's worked, you know, so you need to differentiate yourself. You know, you need to, while I didn't really think at the time, okay, this niche space is the key to success, the secret sauce, you know, it, in hindsight, that, that's exactly what it was. It allowed us to go under the radar to grow and by the time you know, and people knew who we were. It was just almost too late for anybody. You know, I remember other, I mean, Christ, the company we just bought out in Kansas, you know, they've been in the correctional industry for almost 70 years. I remember looking at them, looking up to them. I'm like, these guys are the gold standard. If you want to be a pharmacy management solution, if you need a pharmacy management solution in corrections, you go to Kalos. They are it. Mm -hmm. Like they're the only game in town. I remember thinking one day I want to, I want to kind of be like them. Then it became one day I want to own them. Then one, it was one day I flew out to Topeka, Kansas, kind of texted the owner, be like, Hey, I'm actually in town. I just got off a plane to fly yeah. there to see him, hoping that he'd sit, sit with me. We got lunch. I pitched him and we literally are like, like funding, like I think tomorrow. So, wow. you know, it's, it's just, it's just, you know, but again, now collectively our two companies, we just know the we know the space. I think that's that's just such an important part and such a fundamental part of our onboarding. You know, only until recently, really, once we passed like the eighty employee mark, we used to actually send every new employee into one of our jails here in New Jersey that we partner with to actually get to know what a jail is like. You know, because I real I, I firmly believe that you can't you if you don't know what you're developing for or what you're working towards, how can you work in this vacuum? You know, so just just here. I love that. And so you also have won some awards for, you know, best place to work. So you've obviously built, built a great culture there. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you look at or, or some of your philosophies with 
you know, creating that culture? Is it, do, do you provide a lot of employee benefits or are, are there other things that sort of play into that, that best place to work sort of culture that you're building? Mm-hmm. So one of the best, que- one, one question I was asked once was, who's more important, the customer or the employee? And I said the employee, because without good employees, you don't have any customers. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of a mentality we have here at Fusion is that, you know, our, our employees are the root of our business's core aspect. You know, one of the, 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 the proudest kind of stat I can give as a business owner is that only one person has resigned from Fusion since its founding. And that one person quit because they decided that they wanted to go ride a motorcycle across the country for a year after college mm-hmm. instead of going to work. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the people who've come and gone here are effectively voted off the island, I kind of like to use the term, where you know we, are, we as a team are so in it together that if somebody's coming in, everybody here has seen our success, has seen our growth. They've seen what's, what's happened. You know, They've seen us go from a 500 square foot office on top of a dance studio across the street from the firehouse down the road here to a 25,000, we, we control the entire floor here at 10 Woodbridge Center, 25,000 square feet where we have an arcade, we have a bar, we have you know, this ridiculously large fish tank. You know, they've seen that, they've seen that growth and they're all so vested in the continuation of that growth. So I think, again, even, even myself as a business owner, as I mentioned when, when, before we went live here, you know, I'm in my office. I'm, I'm, I'm hardly in my office. I'm out in the pit with everybody else engaging with them. You know, we have kind of, you know, from, a, from an office perspective, I mean, we're definitely fortunate. People come in here and they're like, this is, this is like mini Googleplex. So that is something I invested heavily in. And I didn't go out and hire a firm to necessarily say, you're going to paint the walls this color, you're going to do this. I was into every single detail when it came to building what we call HQ4 out. Because to me, it was important that I needed to provide our staff with a place that they felt comfortable to work, that it kind of inspired them. You know, we're creating things. There, there's an artistic perspective to what some of these guys do because there is no blueprint. You know, when, even when you talk about your, your standard frameworks of methodologies, agile, things like that, yeah, it applies. But with corrections, there's always that twist. You know, there's always that thing that can't work in corrections. There's always that thing that can't work in government because of this massive machine. So, you know, that, that's something that I've always tried to promote here as well. You know, again, I think it's also top down. I'm, I do not perceive myself to be this, this scary boss in the corner office. Like I mentioned, I'm out in the pit. I go through every single morning and say hello to every single person in my office. That's just something I've always done since day one. Mm-hmm. You know, even now during the whole Corona thing. Yeah, there's six of us here, you know, spaced out, doing the whole social distancing. We all did pretty much gave ourselves a blood oath that it's from here to home and back. But I needed them here because, again, of the acquisition of this company and just everything we're going through. But, you know, I'm buying them lunch every day. You know, to them, that, that, that goes a, such a long way. I mean, for what? It's cost me 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that little bit, especially if you have employees that come from other companies, I, I can't tell you how many people have come to me as we've grown where they're like, nobody had my, any, any, no other job ever took care of me the way you do. So our surveys show that information. And it is also kind of, here's an interesting fact when, for those who are kind of growing your business, because I was bootstrapping, you know, I wasn't putting out these job postings for these positions. I grew internally. Employee number one, brother. Employee number two, be, uh, one of my best friends. Employee number three, 
I literally pretty much found him on the street. You know, so I was growing internally, and even from then, you know, employee number four was in, was a friend of employee number two. Number three was in, number five was in a friend of employee number one. So that's how we kind of grew, and because we had the similarities, that kind of set the foundation for that culture, which again I think has scaled out to where it is today. Even when people apply for our jobs, we do not have a salary range. So when you apply for a job at Fusion, we ask you, how much do you want to make? How much do you feel you are worth to the company based on your experience and skills? Because we're not going to try and whittle you down. You know, even if even if you get to the stage, you know, of being brought on site or now video, well, you know, WebEx is for for interview. One of the first questions is, on your application, you said you wanted this much money. Is this true? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Now we're on the same page. And, you know, we, we really put it out there, and you know, again, I think that's that's kind of part of our secret sauce. I love it. I love it. So, so what's next for Fusion? Uh, you guys obviously just acquired some some things. What uh, what are your next plans? Any other goals that you have? Yeah, one one of the taglines I use in some of my corporate emails, I use that with quotations around it because, you know, I'm anything but corporate. Is you know, onward and upward towards world domination. You know, our our we know we're smart enough, I think, that we know we can't go compete against the play the major players in the healthcare IT space like place where you go your hospital your doctor that space is dominated by very the the key players that were like kind of hovering around the government side of it but just didn't care enough so a lot of what we're looking to get into is really our our trajectory onwards towards uh the government-run agencies so again we're in corrections today we've been in public we've been getting into public health state psychiatric like there's all these agencies that are largely underserved that you know could leverage our technologies and our solutions uh, so again, that's kind of the trajectory we're going towards. Software is a beautiful thing because it's, you know, once you make it, all you have to do is sell it. You have to maintain it. So, you know, the operating cost, the, you know, the per unit cost is, you know, relatively low. So, you know, that that's definitely one of the nice things when it comes to software that I, it took me a little bit to really realize that, but, you know, it's, yeah. No, that's great. That's great. If people want to learn more about Fusion, yourself, your story, anything like that reach out to you, what would be the best way to accomplish any of that? Sure. Yeah. So my email is always best. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn, Brian Jackovich. It's B-R-Y-A-N-J-A-K-O-V-C-I-C. I'm on LinkedIn, or again, you can hit me up at brian.jackovich at fusionmgt.com. Excellent. Excellent. Brian, this has been fantastic. I think people are going to get a lot of valuable little nuggets out of our conversation here today. So again, many, many thanks. No, I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, and remember, pass the secret sauce.